Let's pray. God, as we come together as brothers and sisters, as a family in Jesus Christ, we celebrate what this season is all about, Jesus Christ coming to this earth to be our Savior. We thank you for that. We thank you for allowing us this time to gather together. 
We pray your blessing upon this time. In your name, amen.
reading the scripture from the book of Luke, chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe, lying in a manger. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 16.
Mary, Joseph, shepherds, three witnesses, three perspectives, three voices, calling us tonight, calling us to the story, calling us to hear, to pause, to listen, to reflect, to, to respond. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the mother of our Lord, the unwed mother of God, a girl really, probably no more than 16 and possibly younger. A girl who said yes, yes to God. Yes to scandal. Yes to risk. Yes to the possibility of being ostracized by her family. Yes to the possibility of being abandoned by her fiance. Yes to the possibility of being killed for being unfaithful. A girl who said yes, yes to God. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the mother of our Lord, was no shrinking violet, placid, submissive, quietly taking what was dealt, softly sitting in the dark, singing soothing lullabies. Not, Not her. her. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in fact 
a burning flame, was, in fact, a prophet of justice, was, in fact, a voice crying out in the wilderness, upsetting the apple cart, overturning the status quo, heralding the new creation, where justice and peace are the norm, and foreigners are welcome, where the hungry are fed, and the rich are turned away, where the poor are embraced, and the mighty are stripped of their strength, where the anonymous masses are named by God, and the arrogant are reduced to nothing. Joseph, the father of Jesus, the father of our Lord. Stoic, quiet, worker, provider, protector, dreamer, always in the background, always the silent partner, always in the shadows behind the mother and child. However, he is just as crucial to the story. He is just as important. And he is just as dangerous. Yes, dangerous. Because he, too, said yes. Yes to God. Yes to scandal. Yes to risk. Yes to accepting a wife who would be regarded as tainted. Yes to public mistrust of his own standing and behavior. Yes to having to confront his own jealousies and fears. Joseph, the honorable man. Joseph, the radical lover. Joseph, the overthrower of the expected. Who refused to let suspicion set his agenda. Who refused to let fear dictate his response. Also burned with divine flame. Was also consumed with a vision of justice in which all are welcome. All are welcome, no matter how disruptive that they might be. Joseph welcomed the Christ child into his own family. And let go of the need for revenge. And let go of the desire for retribution. And let go of being in control of his life. And lovingly, faithfully, dangerously, embraced his dangerous wife. Embraced her dangerous son. Embraced the dangerous new creation. Coming to birth in front of him. Shepherds. The first witnesses. First recipients of the good news. Glad singings of tidings. Joyful tellers to all who would listen. Praising and thanking God for what they had seen and heard. Shepherds. Biblical symbols of those who care. Protectors of the vulnerable. Leading their flocks. Feeding their sheep, finding green pastures in which their charges can find rest. But these shepherds are dangerous. These shepherds upset the status quo. These shepherds overthrow what passes for normal. Not by what they did. Not by saying yes. Not by their singing and telling and praising. These shepherds are dangerous because of what happened to them. Because of what they were told because it was shepherds who were told it. Because, because of, of who they were. We need to remember the truth about shepherds. In spite of all the good PR and biblical imagery, they were assumed to be lazy, which might have been true. They were portrayed as dirty, which was probably true. They were regarded as smelly, which was certainly true. They were, in fact, viewed as outsiders, as less than important, as undesirable. And these shepherds were also unreliable. 
Remember what happened when they had their vision? Remember how they responded? They ran. They left their flock. They abandoned their duty. They, they had, had one job. Stay with the sheep. Care for the sheep. Don't leave the sheep. And they left. They ran off, leaving their livelihood. Or possibly even worse, leaving someone else's livelihood. In order to see a baby, the child of an unwed mother, the child of a radical father, who had been born a nobody, just like them. Just, just like them. Just like us. The angels came to shepherds. Lazy, dirty, smelly, unreliable shepherds. Saying, to you is born a savior. To you, to you, a dangerous, scandalous, risky savior. Through whom God says yes to shepherds. And outsiders. And strangers. And everyone who is considered other. Mary, Joseph, shepherds. Three witnesses. Three perspectives. Three voices. Calling us tonight. Calling us to a story. Calling us to hear. To pause. To listen. To reflect. To respond. Respond to the flame of justice burning within. Respond to the new creation being born in front of us. Respond with joy to the good news being sung to us. The lowly are regarded with favor. The fearful are shown mercy. The weak are lifted up. The hungry are fed. The outsiders are welcomed. And the dangerous, scandalous, risky promise of love is fulfilled in you this night. Amen. Amen.
said that one again. I am so nervous. <laughs>
Pastor Bruce while he's out of town with his family. And tonight, I want to take a look with you at the perfect Christmas. Let's go ahead and pray real quick, and then we'll dive into it. Lord, thank you for uh, everyone who's able to come out here tonight and this uh, cold weather that we have. Uh, I pray for this message that you've prepared for everyone, Lord, uh, that you would uh, just to speak to our hearts as we uh, think about you on this Christmas season. Amen. So I'm sure many of you are planning the perfect Christmas right now, right? Uh, maybe still got some shopping to do, although I, I hope not. It's a little, it's a little late. Uh, maybe still some cleaning that needs to be done at your house. Uh, definitely some cooking, right? I'm sure lots of people still got some cooking that needs to be done there. Uh, and so there's a lot of things that go into making a perfect Christmas. Um, maybe it is a particular person that needs to be there for us to think of it as that perfect Christmas. Uh, maybe it's a particular food that we need to be eating in order for it to be a perfect Christmas. Uh, for my family, uh, we have a lot of traditions. Uh, it starts right after the Christmas Eve service. Uh, we go uh, driving around, and we look at all the Christmas lights around town. And whoever does the best job with their Christmas lights, uh, we bestow the prestigious title of the Griswolds. It's the Griswold house. Uh, and then after, after we're done doing that, we go home, we have a smorgasbord of appetizers. Uh, the most important one is the olive ball. Uh, it's green olives in a, in a cheesy dough. Could probably eat like 30 of them myself. They're very, very good, very good. Uh, and the all-important Christmas drink, you always have to have Christmas drink, uh, which is really just cranberry ginger ale. You can get it any time of year, but it's Christmas drink, all right? <laughs> Uh, then the next morning, we wake up at a reasonable hour, uh, we enjoy some fresh-baked cinnamon rolls, we read the Christmas story from Luke 2, uh, and then we open presents one at a time, so three or four hours later, then, then we get to have lunch, <laughs> and lunch, same thing, iconic Christmas dinner, we've got the ham, twice-baked potatoes, green bean casserole, crescent rolls, same thing every time. And if just one of those details was missing, we wouldn't consider it to be a perfect Christmas. We need all those things to come together. Now, historically speaking, I would say that the perfect Christmas is actually going to be the very first Christmas, right? That's when Jesus came to earth as a baby. Uh, so let's take a look at this perfect Christmas story uh, that God has all planned out perfectly. Uh, we find that account in Luke chapter 2. Zach read it for us earlier. Uh, and let's just see how perfectly everything went for Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus on their first Christmas. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. Now, I'll tell you what, there is nothing more perfect than government paperwork, right? I just love answering all those questions about my personal demographics and filing taxes, right? Right? No, nobody else feels that way about government paperwork? Okay, maybe just me. Uh, you know, that, maybe that's the most memorable part of, of your child's birth, right? When they come into the room and they have you fill out the paperwork, right? Again, the most memorable part, perfect. Uh, 
Maybe not. Maybe it was more like uh, the first time you saw their face, right? Uh, so the, the equivalent here that I see of them having to go to register for the census would be uh, like someone coming in while you're, you're giving birth, right? And they said, here, I, I need you to do your taxes while you're in labor. That's just about the equivalent that we're looking at here. Uh, and so let's keep reading because that's probably not the perfect part yet. So we're going to have to dig in a little bit deeper, find that, that perfect part coming up here. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Okay, so to make things even better, we're going to have to take a 90-mile journey while nine months pregnant so that we can file taxes while giving birth. So, uh, sounds great. I can see some of you doing the math in your head, right? You say, oh, well, 90 miles an hour, we're going 60 on the highway. That's like an hour and a half. That's no big deal. Easy. Well, there's no planes, trains, or automobiles here. So, we're looking to do this four days on foot if we're traveling at eight hours a day for our pace. Uh, and even if we place Mary on a donkey, right, we're still not speeding it up uh, because you got to go at a slow pace for the sake of the baby. Uh, and I'm not going to pretend to know what pregnancy is like, but I'm sure uh, that if we asked anyone here who has given birth, if they would like to take a 90-mile journey on foot in their third trimester, uh, I'm pretty sure they're all going to say no, right? Not at the top of your list of things to do. Uh, and in verse 5, we encounter something else that I'm sure neither Mary nor Joseph are going to consider to be a perfect situation. We read that Mary is engaged to Joseph, and she's already pregnant. Now, you and I, as third-party omniscient readers, we know that the baby was immaculately conceived by the power of God, uh, but that's not going to be the case for the first-party observers at the time. I'm sure Mary and Joseph both face scrutiny from their friends and family. Uh, in fact, we do read in Matthew 1, 19 through 25, that Joseph was planning on breaking off that engagement quietly. And he actually would have been justified in doing this publicly, but he was a nice guy, and he didn't want to disgrace Mary. God had to send an angel to dissuade him from doing so. But you can't really blame Joseph for thinking this way, though. Uh, it's not a very good feeling to have your wife get pregnant by someone else who's not you. And they both had to contend with the judgments of others. They likely tried to keep the pregnancy a secret from the general public. Mary and Joseph were still human, after all, and vulnerable to the same insecurities that many of us face today. Even by today's standards, this is still not something that many of us would describe as a perfect situation. We might face judgment from outsiders, but I'm sure most of our families are still going to be supportive if one of, ourselves, uh, one of us found ourselves in a similar situation. Uh, Mary and Joseph, they're at serious risk here of being ostracized by their community for this pregnancy. But didn't God put baby Jesus inside of Mary? So if Mary and Joseph are operating at the center of God's will, then why does this scenario not look more perfect? 
you know what, I bet the birth itself, that's the perfect part. We, we just got to read a little bit further here. And while they were still, while they were there, the time came for the, her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So the setting of the birth, uh, not perfect. I mean, for those of you that have kids, think back to when your first child was born. Uh, and I'm going to say first child because I bet you were a lot more relaxed with the subsequent children, right? So first kid, when anticipating the birth, you're going to make sure everything is perfect. Uh, you've got the room all set up. There's a nice fresh coat of paint on the walls. The crib is beautifully built and stocked with fresh, soft blankets. Uh, you've got the go bag packed, ready for the hospital. Uh, hopefully, you've even got the car seat installed for the ride home afterwards. So imagine having all of that stuff planned out, and then you have to evacuate your home. There is no room, there's no crib, and there's no blankets. Uh, actually, there's not going to be a hospital or a medical staff either. Uh, I'm sure that Mary and Joseph already had that crib set up and blankets ready to swaddle their newborn with. Joseph was a carpenter after all, so he probably built an amazing crib for the anticipated child. It had to be painful for him to put his newborn son in a feeding trough instead of the crib that he spent weeks masterfully crafting. And you know how special that first blanket is for your child. Oftentimes that's something you hang on to for years and years to come because of that sentimental value. So go ahead and trade out those special claws for rags that you would use to deliver livestock in. Perfect situation, right? Imagine all those preparations are being made, and then out of nowhere, you have to leave and travel while nine months pregnant to a city packed full of other migrants. It would not have been an easy journey physically or mentally. Now, at the end of the third trimester is when mothers go into the nesting stage, right? So how is Mary supposed to be nesting when she spends four days traveling and now has a dirty barn to work with? And although home births are becoming much more popular, I still don't think I know any pregnant woman who's going to volunteer to give birth in a barn. The dirty, smelly stables inhabited by animals are a far cry from the sterile hospital staffed by medical professionals today. There's something else to consider here. Who delivered the baby? They just traded the midwife out for a cow. Now, we've got to give Joseph some props here for handling this on his own. Uh, I was in the, the room the whole time when uh, my son was being born. Uh, and I dutifully held my wife's hand, but there is no way that I would be comfortable being the one actually delivering the baby. Joseph had to be a nervous wreck. I mean, this is the savior of the world. This is God's one and only son. Shouldn't the perfect birth be in a palace with the best doctors of the time attending? A dirty stable with an inexperienced carpenter as the midwife is anything but perfect. So I'm going to be honest here, guys. I'm starting to doubt whether or not this is the perfect Christmas story that I thought I was going to read to you. So let's just finish the rest of the passage. Let's see if it gets any better here. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, 
and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So even the first guests to come see the Messiah are not who we would typically expect. I mean, being the first person to visit the newborn baby, that's, that's a privilege. Uh, I can remember going to see my friend Mike in the hospital after he and his wife had their first child. At the time, we all lived in State College, and their families all lived in Pittsburgh. So my roommate Vinny and I, we were the closest to them in proximity, so we were the first people to get to visit. And that was really special to be the first visitors to newborn baby Nolan. Uh, in fact, I still tell him the story every time I see him. I say, you, you know, Nolan, I was the first person to visit you in the hospital after you were born. So I'm sure that when Mary pictured giving birth to her firstborn child, she anticipated uh, friends or family coming to visit after the birth and not the local shepherds whom she'd never met. Uh, how would you react if strangers walked into your room right after you'd given birth and wanted to hold your newborn? Now, even better, what if these strangers, what if they were plumbers who had been working on the septic system at the hospital? How likely is it that you're going to let these dirty, smelly plumbers hold your newborn baby? Not very likely. But I mean, at, at the very least, if it's going to be strangers that are coming to visit him, shouldn't it be someone really important, like uh, royalty or maybe even religious leaders? Surely not the shepherds who were hanging out in the fields the whole time. Now, some of us might have a positive opinion of shepherds based on how they're often portrayed in the Bible. And it is true that God does really like shepherds. Uh, I mean, we look at Abel. He's a shepherd, and God prefers his offerings to those of his brother Cain. Abraham is a shepherd, and God chooses to use him to establish the lineage of his chosen people. Even Moses was a shepherd for a time before he took on the job of leading the Israelites to the promised land. Most famously, King David begins as a shepherd, and God elevates him to the highest position in the land. In first century Jewish society, however, shepherds would have been at the bottom rung of the social ladder. And if you've ever been to a petting zoo, uh, you know that sheep, sheep don't smell good. They usually don't look that great either. Got dirty wool and flies buzzing around them constantly. These dummies are constantly getting themselves lost or hurt as well. 
So the shepherds, they would be frequently covered in some combination of blood and manure, making them unclean and therefore unfit to go worship in the temple. So the people who are too dirty to be allowed into the temple, those are the first people to visit the Messiah. I mean, far from perfect, if you ask me. So maybe, just maybe, this first Christmas was not actually the perfect Christmas. In fact, from what we're reading, it sounds like quite the opposite. Uh, It could be described as an imperfect Christmas. But that's only by our human definition of perfect. So maybe we need to adjust what it means to have a perfect Christmas. Maybe things don't need to go perfectly by our definition in order to have a perfect Christmas. I would say that a perfect Christmas actually means a Christmas that is centered around Jesus and not us or our traditions. Mary and Joseph, they tried hard to be in control of that first Christmas, tried to make everything perfect for God's son. Even when things start to go wrong, I'm sure they continued to make the best of that situation. And they're probably freaking out a little bit each time that something else went wrong. But in the end, this imperfect Christmas was exactly what God had planned because Christ was still the center of that celebration. Now, often we get wrapped up in trying to make everything look and feel perfect for Christmas. We need all the right decorations. We got to sing the right songs. We need to buy all the right presents and say all the right things. Keep up all of those traditions. Everything needs to look and feel like a perfect Christmas. If we miss just one of those traditions, then the whole thing's ruined. But that's us trying in our own humanity to create the perfect Christmas. God is trying to tell us that the perfect Christmas can only exist when we focus our attention on Jesus. So what part of your imperfect Christmas is detracting from you worshiping God? What are you worried about too much, or what are you holding on to too tightly that's preventing you from experiencing God's perfect will in an imperfect way? And when things go wrong tonight or tomorrow, as they inevitably will, remember that God uses the imperfect for his perfect will, and no matter what happens, the most important thing is to keep Christ at the center of your Christmas. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for uh, sending your son Jesus here to earth in such a miraculous way, in in such a way that shows uh, your power, Lord. Uh, This isn't how any of us would expect it to go, uh, yet this is your chosen method. Uh, You're always using the, the ordinary to do the extraordinary. I pray for all of us as we enjoy our Christmas Eve and and tomorrow our Christmas together, that we would keep this in mind, that the most important thing is to keep Christ at the center of our Christmas celebration. Amen. We're going to do the lighting of the candles. Brenda's going to come by and light those at the end and just pass it down your row.
as your candles are lit, please stand. And we can just, uh, just have this together. We'll go into the last verse. you need. And when you're finished, you can blow out your candle and quietly leave.